Father in heaven, we come to you now very thankful, thankful for a lot, and our hearts are ready to receive the word of God. We ask now, God, that you would help us to receive it by faith, that we would believe it, know you further, understand And that love would be produced out of it, God. That we would love you and love people according to the truth. God, we're thankful to be here. We've come to love Sundays. We ask your blessing on us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would please turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 1. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. As I told you, if you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay. The Pew Bible is page 919-919, Mark chapter 1. You can get comfortable with the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be there every Sunday from here on out for quite some time. Mark chapter 1, we're going to cover today both baptism and temptation. Before I really get started, though, I want to take this time to just say thank you so much to Micah and Rachel. Uh, We love you all. Um, God has been really good to us and you guys. It's been about two and a half years. Uh, Y'all have served our church well. Y'all have done good to us. Um, in so many ways. We love, I speak for everybody here, we love to get here and, and hear the music, right? We do. We love to hear the music. We love for you to lead us in worship. Um, we're, we're thrilled about that, so thank you. Thanks for being so such a good guy and such a good family. Rachel, you're a great wife to Micah and a good mother, and uh, we love you guys, so thank you. It'll be uh, bittersweet tonight telling you all good night or goodbye. So, Mark chapter 1. We'll look at the baptism and temptation of Jesus moving right, moving right along in Mark. I told you last week that one of the good things about preaching through a, a whole book is you get to learn a lot. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that you maybe don't know. You, you know a lot about Jesus and you say you're a follower of Jesus. He's your Lord and Savior, but you don't know maybe the details about him. That's what's so good about what we're doing. You're going to learn a lot. And today's passage that we're going to look at is his baptism and his temptation. Basically two, two stories, um, two, two uh, parts of his life that, that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us about. And you're going to like that. And so I, I'm seeing it now as, 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 as a, an enjoyable part of being a pastor I'm getting to tell you a lot of things about Jesus that you maybe not have known before, that you haven't heard, and I like that. That's one of the reasons why I like being, being a dad so much. I love being a dad, and I love having kids. One of the neat things about being a parent, it's also one of the scary things, but one of the neat things about being a parent is that you get to teach your kids anything you want to teach them, right? It's, on, it's up to me how much I want to teach them. I told you a couple of weeks ago how much time we spent on YouTube watching Michael Jackson videos because I want my kids to know about Michael Jackson. They didn't know what the moonwalk was. They weren't familiar with the moonwalk. And so I got to show them what the moonwalk was. And maybe, maybe other kids don't, but maybe other parents don't. I don't know. But that's what it's like being a parent. You get to. Well, back about four weeks ago, we, I told my kids all about the NCAA brackets. And they had never heard of a bracket. They didn't know what it was. They were asking, where do you get one? I said, well, that's okay. I'll bring, I'll bring the brackets home. And so in our family, we did like a little bracket challenge, and everybody filled one out, and let's see who's going to win. And I had really hyped this thing up, and we spent a lot of time filling them out and picking the teams that we wanted and all of that. And the next day they went to school, and Noah comes home. He's in preschool. Noah comes home and says, Dad, I asked everybody in class. Nobody's ever heard of a bracket. Nobody at my school knows what a bracket is, he says. 
Nobody in preschool knows what a bracket is. And I kind of laughed about that, and I thought, well, you know, that's, that's the neat thing about being a parent, right? You get, to, you get to introduce your kids to whatever you want to introduce them to, for better or for worse. Uh, you can introduce them to bad things. You can introduce them to good things. And for as much fun as, say, YouTube or brackets are with our children, what I find just overwhelmingly fantastic is that I get to teach my kids everything I want to about Jesus. We like to do trivia in our house a lot, and I love to ask them, you know, what number was Michael Jordan, and what number is Steph Curry, and what number is Clay Thompson, and we'll just go, what jersey number are all these guys that play sports? And, and I like for them to know those things, but I really like it when I can say, who did this to Jesus? Who said this? When did that happen? These Bible questions. It's awesome. It's fantastic. It is, it is super for us to be learning about God. There is no other subject that's as important. Not only for our children, but also for you. I know there seems to be, and, and this is weird, I know there seems to be like, hey, kids should go to Sunday school. Kids should go to VBS. Kids should go to vacation Bible school. They need to learn those little stories. With, with, with all humility, but with great seriousness, can I... Can I encourage you adults here today? There is no greater subject in your life than to know and know well the Lord Jesus. That is the most important thing. Not just for your children, but for you. And I do like it how much we get into other subjects. And it is right for us to be all about other subjects. It's for the glory of God that we know our subject and know it well, whatever that may be. But there is also the subject of Jesus that we must, we must give attention to. And one of the great things about preaching through a book like we are with Mark is that we approach subjects that otherwise we maybe not have discussed. Like the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus. Look with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 1. I told you last week that Mark is often in a hurry and he gives smaller accounts of many things. He uses the word immediately and again and after and, and moving right along. He uses that type of stuff a lot, and you see that today. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Mark puts this as two separate passages. I think it's okay for it to be two separate passages. But I'm going to put them together today. I want us to look at first with the baptism of Jesus, 
We know last week that John the Baptist came first. John the Baptist came introducing that the Savior's coming. John the Baptist came as the forerunner saying, hey, or, okay, saying, hey, hey, Jesus, the Savior, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, he is coming. And then when he came up, he pointed him out. He told us how unworthy he is and how worthy Jesus is. But then he comes for baptism. It says that Jesus kind of walked up to the Jordan. And Mark just says that John baptized him. That's all it says there in verse 9. He's very quick with it. But if you read the account in Matthew or the account in Luke, you see that there was a little bit more of a conversation there. When, when Jesus walked up to the baptisms being done, it was a little bit like, oh no, the, the main thing is here. The one we're being baptized for, Jesus. Remember, the baptism that John was doing was for the forgiveness of sins. We saw that in our verses from last week. People were coming and confessing their sins, repenting of their sins, and it was even called a baptism underwater of repentance. The reason why they're being baptized is to show they want to be forgiven of their sins. That's why anybody gets baptized. It is to show that we have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. We have told you many times, I want to remind you again, that when you show up here on a day where that screen is up and the curtains are open and the water is full and the, and the baptistry there, that baptism is not at all to get you to heaven. That baptism is not at all to make you right with God. The Bible doesn't teach that. But the baptism is something that you do in obedience to God, showing that you have made a commitment to Jesus. A commitment to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He has, He has, Jesus has saved you from your sins. He has forgiven you of your sins. Your soul has been washed clean. In God's eyes, you are right and pure and good and holy in God's eyes. Why? Because God has washed you clean with the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing that can wash you clean, the blood of Jesus. The holy blood of Jesus. But we get in the bath up here, and we go under the water to symbolize that we've been washed clean. It doesn't actually wash us clean. But we do that because he's told us to. See, if somebody gets baptized without saying anything, they're saying, I need to be forgiven of my sins. And Jesus is the Lord and Savior that died to forgive me of my sins. And I'm trusting in him to be forgiven of my sins. Baptism is you saying, Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. So when Jesus walks up, and John's baptizing people, and Jesus says, if you read Matthew, Jesus says, John, I want you to baptize me. John rightly says, no, 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 I'm not baptizing you. Jesus, you don't need to be baptized. You need to baptize me if you go read Matthew. Which is a neat story, right? Jesus is God. Every human being ever needs to be forgiven of their sins, right? Except the God-man. Except the human being that is God, Jesus. Jesus is 100% God and Jesus is 100% man. And that God-man did not sin, could not sin because he's God. Why does he need to be baptized? And that's what John was thinking. John was preaching. He was a voice crying out in the wilderness. John was literally a weirdo, dressed weird, acting weird, eating weird, but compelling people, come, 
The Savior's coming. You're going to meet God. The kingdom of God is at hand. You need to repent. Get right. Jesus is coming. Judgment's real. You need to get ready. Come, be baptized. Repent of your sins. Get right. That's John the Baptist. He was looking for anybody and everybody who would confess their sins and acknowledge they need a Savior and therefore be baptized by him. But when Jesus walked up, he asserted no. No, Jesus. I don't need to baptize you. I want you to see that while Jesus is a great example to us, while he is the one that we look at and try to follow, he is much more than that. He is like us, but he is other than us. He is other than us, and he is like us, and we have to get both. And that's why I want to do the baptism and the temptation together. John wanted everybody to be baptized. But when Jesus said, will you baptize me? John said no. Because John knew him to be God. John knew him to be the Savior. John knew him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John knew that. But then Jesus answers back to John's uh, refusal. You can read this again in Matthew chapter 3. John says, no, I'm not going to baptize you. I need you to baptize me. Jesus says, no, you must baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, John, this is what God the Father wants me to do. In other words, John, this is a part of God's plan. In other words, I know I don't need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, but I do need to be baptized for several reasons. And there are many reasons that we can think of, but one would be because this is God's plan to show us that Jesus is the Savior. Another would be to connect Jesus even more closely with his people. Again, I'm saying that Jesus is other, he's God, but Jesus is also like us. Jesus is, is, is there connecting with the people, understanding that he identifies with all that salvation is. God is not a God who is far from us and we're trying to figure out how can we get right with him. God is not a God who is far from us and we're trying to figure out what salvation looks like. No, God is a God who made us. God is a God who has had a plan ever since the beginning to save us. God's saving plan has always been a part of his plan. Let me say that again. God's saving plan has always been a part of his plan. He has been a redeemer since the beginning. For people to know and love his son Jesus as the one who died in their place for their sins, for their forgiveness, to make them right with God has been God's plan from the beginning. And so when Jesus says, no, I need to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness, he is asserting this is God's plan. Let me put my stamp on baptism. Let me identify with the redemption, savior type stuff, one dying for your sins. Let me show a connection with my people. Matthew chapter 3 says, John consented. John said, okay. Okay, and then Mark picks up here at verse 9. Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. What a picture. Every once in a while in religious people, we will get to where we, we try to, we try to um, look like our people that we worship are, 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 are out of reach or that we don't understand them. It's not the case with the Lord Jesus Christ. There were many people that day there at the Jordan in a river out, outside who watched Jesus himself. 
go under the water and be lifted up. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He is not so far off that you cannot understand Him. Verse 10, God puts His approval on this. And when He came up out of the water, immediately He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. God now responds to the baptism of Jesus. Many have said that this is the the launching of Jesus' public ministry. Now, we don't know much about Jesus leading up to this point. When Jesus comes on the scene, the first thing that we see is John the Baptist points him out, he is baptized, and then his ministry takes off. It is from this point here that we have bam, 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 bam. Jesus on the go for three years preaching and teaching and healing and doing all of his ministry, but it begins here. And it is at this point where we see God approving him. We are not to think that now Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one. The one true God. We're not to see this as, uh, as the Holy Spirit uh, coming on him that he didn't have it, but rather to see it as God affirming in Jesus the beginning of his ministry as a sign to the people that are there. The Savior is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here we go. Verse 11, not only did the heavens tear open and not only did the Spirit descend on him like a dove, but a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. What a statement. We have a voice from heaven, we have Almighty God, we have God the Father now making a statement about his Son. Not only does the baptism show us that Jesus is serious about this, Jesus is in the work of salvation. He is following God's plan. He is setting it forth. Not only does the the Holy Spirit coming upon him like a dove show us the heavens opening up and, and, and show us that God is in this, but now we have God making a statement about it. In other words, the Father seemingly says, hey, that's him. Keep an eye on him. Hey, that's him. Follow him. Hey, that's my son with whom I'm well pleased. There's a lot of talk in the world today about what's true and what's not. How can we know? A lot of talk in the world today about God and different religions and different gods and many gods and different paths. The word of God here in Mark chapter 1 tells us That when Jesus was baptized, God Almighty said, That is my Son, and I am well pleased with Him. What an affirmation of what true religion should be. When God Almighty, the Creator that all creatures are to worship, speaks up and says, That's the one. You and I should hear that voice and we should say, I must get devoted to Jesus. There is no other way to live life than devoted in Jesus. For God to say, that's my son with whom I am well pleased, and me to say, well, I'm not sure if I want my life to be about that, would be to to err, to, to be wrong, to go in the wrong direction. God has spoken up and affirmed Jesus. Now, the Bible teaches us that Jesus lived his life to die. The Bible teaches us in just a few chapters later that there's a scene 
Where now Jesus is talking back to the Father. Here the Father is pointing to Jesus. But there's a scene down the road, which we just came through the whole Good Friday Easter season. But there's a scene down the road where Jesus is very, very close to the cross, to the crucifixion. And the Bible says that Jesus is in the garden and he's kneeling down and he's praying and he's, in, he, he, he's somewhat anxious about it. And he's sweating and he's upset. And the Bible says that Jesus prays, Father. So now Jesus is speaking to the Father. Here the Father's speaking about Jesus. But now Jesus is speaking back to the Father. He says, Father, if there is any other way for this to be accomplished, meaning salvation, the saving of people like you and me, then let this cup pass from me. God, is there any other option? Is there any other way to do it? This suffering is a lot. It's heavy on me. It's bothering me. It, 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 it's, 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 it's awful. Is there any other way? And then Jesus says, Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. We have there a picture of Jesus speaking to the Father about the Father's plan to bring about salvation. Here at the beginning of Mark, with the baptism of Jesus and the affirmation of God the Father on His Son, we have the moving forward in God's plan of salvation. God has a plan to save His people. And everywhere in the Bible that you start thinking about the salvation plan and reading the Bible, it seems to make more and more sense. God has a plan to save His people. And God's plan to save His people is in His Son, Jesus, in the work that He does. Here at the beginning of the Gospel, we have God saying this. In other words... When God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, when God says that, everybody else around there, John the Baptist, the people that were there at the Jordan River that day, and us, those who are reading it, think, oh, wow, well, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to pay attention to this Jesus. I'm going to see where he's going. I'm going to see what he's doing. I'm going to see how he's living. I'm going to see why God is pointing out that this is the one. I want to see why God has so much attention on him. I want to also put my attention on him. This is the launching of the ministry of Jesus that finds its climax in the saving work of Jesus. Jesus' ministry was three years of preaching and teaching leading up to the dying on the cross. Jesus' ministry was three years of being in people's lives, working with them, healing them, understanding them, talking with them, dealing with them, climaxing in dying for them, rescuing them, redeeming them. That's what he's doing. And here at the beginning of Mark, in this baptism passage, there's not a whole lot about the cross because we are taught to read the whole gospel. But in reading the whole gospel, we see here the affirming of God upon Jesus. If you're interested in God, if you say you're a religious person but you're not so sure about Christianity, I want you to hear today that God Almighty is a very passionate focus on His Son, Jesus. I want to make a little side note here. It's one of the reasons I opened up with being a dad and parenting. You ever thought about this before? God Almighty goes public here with a praise of His Son. What a thought in parenting. Now, it's pretty common for me at night, once the kids are in bed, to go over there and rub them on the head and give them a compliment. Hey, you did good, you did good at baseball practice today. I, I like watching you play. Once we're in the dark and we're in the room. 
And I hope that you have made a habit and practice of complimenting your kids and praising them and speaking well of them. I've often said that one of the biggest goals in parenting is to give your kid confidence in whatever they're going to do. Your kid ought to have confidence through your love and support and encouragement of them. That is one of the major goals of parenting. But I want to ask you here today, parents, grandparents, everybody with young people underneath them, do you praise them in public? Have other people heard you say compliments about them? This is Jesus Christ. This is the man who never sins. This is a man that everybody knew was holy and awesome and other. They were trying to figure out how he was God. They might not have understood that, but they knew that there was something special about him. He never did anything bad. There was no dirt on him. And God still saw fit to say, that's my boy. That's my son. That's my loved, my beloved son. And I am so pleased with him. Moms, dads, I want to ask you in public, praise your kids. Build them up. Compliment them. Speak well of them. I'll tell you an instance of this that I remember and I've, I've never forgotten. I was in the sixth grade. I was playing basketball uh, for the first year, I think. Nah, not the first year. For my first year in middle school in rec league, where I'm from, you can't play middle school ball until you're in seventh grade. So I was playing basketball rec league in the sixth grade, and, and one of my good friends, I was on his team, and his dad was the coach. And we were down by one with ten seconds left, and my buddy got fouled, and his dad's the coach. We're down one, 10 seconds left. He's going to the foul line, sixth grade, so like 12 years old. And we went, into the, we went into the huddle during the timeout, and we all kneeled down. He said, here's what we're going to do. Darren's about to knock down both these free throws. I kind of thought, well, what if he misses? He said, he's not going to miss. Darren's going to knock down both these free throws. He's going to knock down both these free throws. We're going to be up one. There's 10 seconds left. Don't let him get a shot off. I thought, man, he's pretty confident in his son. We're 12 years old, sixth graders. We went, out of the, we went out of the huddle, went to the free throw line. Guess what happened? Darren knocked down both free throws. We ended up losing on a buzzer beater, but <laughs> we did. We lost on a buzzer beater. It's awful. Sixth grade memory. Terrible. <laughs> but I keep thinking about that. Even still, I'm 36 years old. I'm thinking to myself, how did he say that? What if, he, what if he'd have missed them? What would he have felt like? How would that have gone over? How devastated would he have been? Did that not put more pressure on his son when he said he's going to make both free throws? I keep thinking about all of that, but yet, I also keep thinking about, there must have been a real sense, especially as a man, as a competitor, where Darren thought, man, my, my dad's got confidence in me. My dad thinks I'm going to sit up here and, and, and knock these free throws down. I thought, I like that. And there is a real sense. Now, I'm not encouraging you to be one of these parents that's blind to everybody else and just all about your kid and over the top or all that, but I think you get that. But there is a real sense where it's good, it's a beautiful picture, it's encouraging, it's healthy, it's in loving, and it means so much to a child when the, when the son hears the dad say, that's, that's my son, and I'm pleased with him. Adults, can we get better at that? Can we follow the example of God the Father praising His Son? In the baptism of Jesus, we have God the Father affirming that this one, this Jesus, is indeed what John has already declared 
the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. We don't have it happening here. It's down the road, but we're getting there. I want to ask you here today that you also would put your focus on Jesus. I want to ask you here today if you have been baptized as Jesus has been baptized. I want to ask you here today if you've been baptized as Jesus has been baptized, and have you been baptized the way Jesus teaches us that we are to be baptized? When we commit ourselves to Christ by faith, we are then to be baptized. What keeps you from being baptized? Why haven't you been baptized? Will you be baptized? If you want to, if you're ready to believe in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, trust in Him, then I encourage you to move toward baptism. Secondly, in our passage today, we move on to the temptation, verse 12. And this is how Mark does it. He says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. You have immediately in verse 10, you have immediately in verse 12. This is how Mark is. We're moving right along with Jesus. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Jesus is now in a totally different setting. The setting goes from at the Jordan, in many ways a revival, a spiritual setting, a preacher, John the Baptist, a prophet preacher in John the Baptist, a fulfilling of the Old Testament prophet preacher in John the Baptist, one who is making all kinds of great claims about his humility and his lack of worth, and yet declaring strongly the worth of Jesus and the, and the glory of Jesus. That whole thing's going on. There's a lot of people there who are humble and broken of their sins. They're repenting. They're confessing their sins. They're being baptized. There's celebration. You have Jesus now in the middle of that beautiful scene and immediately the Spirit. He doesn't wander into the wilderness. He doesn't walk into the wilderness. The Spirit drives him, it says, out into the wilderness. Jesus hits the far extremes. People, good stuff, celebration, Godward things, alone in the wilderness. Alone with the wild animals. It seems like Mark, Mark's the only one who mentions the wild animals. It seems like Mark is wanting us to come to grips with how isolated it is if you go out into the wilderness. You may not talk to anybody, but you're going to encounter some animals. The Spirit took him there. I want you to see that sometimes being alone or being isolated or, or going through that season of learning or that season of trial doesn't always mean that you're in the wrong or that you shouldn't be there. Jesus was supposed to be in the wilderness. There's a lot for us to learn here. Jesus was supposed to be there. Matter of fact, Jesus was driven there by God's Holy Spirit. Jesus is there because God has taken him there. Jesus is there because God wants him there. I want to remind you here today that life is often filled with seasons and positions and events that we may not have chosen. And yet even in those, God has a purpose for us in them. There is a way to honor God in the ugliest of seasons. There is a way to honor God in the toughest of times. There is a way to do the right thing even in the midst of a lot of bad stuff. Jesus now is in the wilderness, driven there by the Spirit. Verse 13, and he was in the wilderness 40 days and he was tempted. Matthew and Luke tell us that he was hungry, that he was fasting. He did not eat. They even say that he got hungry uh, when the fast ended, so he was in the wilderness 40 days alone being tempted by Satan. Can you imagine? Not only is he lonely, but now Satan is there. Not only is he lonely, but Satan is there trying to get him to do the wrong thing. In our world today, we can imagine. We can imagine this. Now, if you want to turn there, you can. 
Matthew chapter 4 tells us about the temptations. And I want to read those if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 4. This is a parallel passage. You can see that Mark does it very quickly, very brief. Matthew goes into great accounts. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. I want you to notice something here about temptation. Temptation doesn't have to always be something that's bad and ugly. It's going to ruin your life. Most people in the world who are just trying to be good people weigh temptation, and listen to me, weigh sin on what the consequence is. Isn't that true? We tend to weigh sin and evil and bad by what the consequence is, and if we can't convince ourselves that anything bad is going to become of it, then, then we try to assure ourselves that it's okay. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The temptation here is simply to eat bread. There's nothing wrong with eating bread. But it's a temptation. Look why. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, and he quotes the Bible, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus knows that more than he needs food to sustain him in his hunger, he needs God. He needs the breath of God. He needs the word of God to be supplying life and faith. He needs God. And so how dare he trump his need for God with his desire for food in a time where the, desire, where, the, where the fasting is not finished. Just like God drove him into the wilderness, God will drive him back out of the wilderness into his public ministry when it is the right time. Jesus is not to say, well, hey, there's nothing wrong with eating bread. Come on, give me a break. Can't be that big of a deal. I'm going to do it. And that is often the way people who aren't focused on God reason. How many times have we said that it's okay just to do this or it's okay just to do that? Because it doesn't seem like it's going to hurt anybody. Wrong. Real Christians, a real church says, God tells me what I should do and what I should not do, and I am serious about it. Not because it's going to affect people necessarily, but because it affects me and God. Because God's glory is at stake. Because the honor and fame and allegiance and worship of Jesus is what matters here. Verse 5, the second temptation then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Let me show you what's happening here. Do you see it? The devil quotes two different passages of Scripture on why Jesus should do what he's tempting him to do. Hey, just because you've got a verse behind it does not necessarily mean that it's all good. Let me remind you, the devil here is quoting Scripture trying to get Jesus to sin against God. That's why you need a church. This is why we need Bible study. This is why you need a pastor who is committed to teaching you what the Word of God really says, that we would not be led astray by using the Word of God wrongly. God has spoken, and we want to make sure that we understand what He says. There are things that are good and true, and there are things that are wrong. There are things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. There are feelings and convictions that we should have about things, and we need to make sure on this. The devil takes God's word and tries to convince Jesus that it's okay for him to do this very thing. 
Jesus in verse 7 answers. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus knows, again, quoting the word of God, God is not to be tested. Verse 8, the third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Turn back to Mark. The, fourth, the third temptation was the heaviest, right? Satan went away from just trying to get Jesus to sin. And Satan went straight to the point, worship me, worship me. And you see the great devotion and allegiance of Jesus come out that in many ways is the driving factor behind all of life. I'm to love God and God alone. I'm to love God and God supremely, God most. There's only one God. And the great commandment in the whole Bible is that I would love him that we are to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In the temptation passages here, going back to Mark chapter 1, verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. God's Holy Spirit, God's angels, servants were there helping Jesus during this time. I want to give you two thoughts on the temptations. The first is that, as we saw there in Matthew, that's part of the reason why we turned there. You must know the Word of God if you want to be strong in dealing with temptation. Number one, you must know the Word of God if you want to be strong in dealing with temptation. There is a huge lesson here that Jesus Christ, even when He is tempted, quotes Scripture to every temptation. Jesus answers the temptations of the devil with a Bible verse. How do you answer temptation? Do you fall back on your own strength? Do you fall back on mom and dad's teaching? Do you fall back on what your peers do? What, what, what is your answer during temptation? The Word of God is what strengthens us in our temptation. And then secondly, it's okay to be tempted. It's okay to be alone in the desert. God has an answer for us. Number one, the Word of God is the key to being strengthened in your temptation. Number two here, it's okay to be alone. It's okay to be in the desert. It's okay to be tempted. The Bible teaches us that we are not to give in. The Bible teaches us that we are to resist temptation. I want to give you one of those type of coach locker room speeches now in which I say, church, fight for this. Realize that it is sin against God that we hate. It is the very thing that we say Jesus died for, our sins. Therefore, our conviction must be very strong. No, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this thing against God. I don't want to sin. And the truth is that it, for all of us, is so many different things. For the kids in the room, it's whether they're going to listen to their parents or not. For the students in the room, it's whether they're going to keep integrity on their, on their studies. 
It really is in a classroom so easy to just look over at the desk beside you and copy off their paper, and everybody knows that. That really is so easy. But it's a temptation that must be resisted. It really is the temptation and, and, and the need to resist that I'm not going to sleep with my girlfriend. That I'm going to strive for purity like the Bible tells me to. And I realize, I so realize, that the normal way to weigh this is, well, hey, what's the consequence? It don't really affect anybody. We really like each other. We're probably going to get married. I realize that. But the Bible is teaching us that in the wilderness, in the loneliness, in the hurt and the struggle, in the confusion, in those lost seasons of life, that the devil may be there, we may be alone, and temptation is real, but it can be resisted. I want to read to you two passages, and if you take notes, these are two great verses to know. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted... He is able to help those who are being tempted. God has suffered the way we have. He has been tempted the way we're tempted, and therefore, He's able to help us in our temptation. I want to show you Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For do we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin? Let us then with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Temptation can be resisted. One of the big temptations I think is real for all of us is for us to not remain who we want to be when we're around different people. When we're at church, we're one way. When we're at the ball field, we're another way. And when we're at work, we're another way. I never forget that time that I ran into somebody out at the store that I'd never met before, but we got into this conversation, and turns out he worked at the same place that one of y'all work. And so I did what I thought was a natural part of the conversation. I said, oh, do you know such and such? Like, yeah, I know him. We work together. I'm my buddy. We're close. I thought, okay. Well, he goes to my church. Really? I never would have, never would have taken him to be a church guy. And I thought, wow. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I just messed his cover up at work, you know? See, temptation hits us in all different ways. We guard our mouths when we're around the kids, but we don't when we're around the, the other people. The Bible teaches us to see temptation as something that's against, that, that giving into temptation and sinning is something that's against God. And Christians are people who find our love for God because God loves us. Christians are people who are following Jesus because Jesus has saved us from our sins. We are devoted to God because God's devoted to us. And you see here at the beginning of Mark's gospel, the baptism of Jesus with the affirming of his son, the father affirming the son. The temptation of Jesus with Jesus going through the struggle and yet staying faithful to that cause. Jesus is on a mission to die on the cross for your sins. And here we see his devotion to it. In closing, I want to get you to see the extremes of life, right? Sometimes Sundays are really good and Mondays are really awful. Right? Sometimes hanging out with these friends is so encouraging and then as soon as you leave to go out and read these friends is so discouraging. Right? 
That's the way life is. Sometimes the money is flowing, and sometimes the money's tight, and sometimes people are really sweet to you, but sometimes people are really ugly to you. That's the way life is. That's the way life is in Jesus' life. He goes from his baptism and a voice from heaven saying, that's my son, to immediately driven out into the wilderness. Nobody else there at all. Wild animals and Satan trying to kill him. Was it an excuse for him to go and do his own thing? Not at all. Was it an excuse for him to give in and say, well, hey, man, come on, give me a break? No. It was time to hunker down on what his life's really about. It was time for him to have a gut check. Am I going to live for God or am I not? It was a test, if you will, to see if he was ready to be God's son with whom God is well pleased. And praise God, Jesus resisted. You know, had Jesus given in to any of those sins, even one, he would have not been able to die for our sins. It took the perfect, holy Jesus dying for us in order to be able to forgive us. Sinners can't save sinners. It took the Holy Son of God who was affirmed by the Father and who resisted every temptation. May you believe in Christ. Set your life on Him. And may you go and live for Him with all you've got. Fighting, laboring, resisting to live for the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You, God, for Your Word and for Mark, for the baptism and the temptation. God, thank You for how Jesus' life is an opportunity for us to learn. Learn about Jesus, and in learning about Jesus, God, we start to understand a lot. God, thank you that you have affirmed him. Now we know to look to Jesus, and he is the Savior. God, we ask your blessing upon it. God, may we follow you with being baptized, and may we devote ourselves to you with the Scripture that we would resist temptation. May we, God, be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.